You're listening to the Hindu Business Lines Field Notes podcast with TR Vivek. Hello and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast from the Hindu Business Line on all things agribusiness. I'm your host TR Vivek. Today we are going to talk about something to which any resistance is usually considered futile. The American writer John Barry said, "Your hand and your mouth agreed many years ago that as far as this is concerned, there is no need to involve your brain." Yes, we are talking about chocolates. Nearly 70% of world's cocoa comes from West Africa. India is a tiny player producing about 20,000 tons when the domestic demand is close to 90,000 tons. Can India ever meet its own domestic demand for cocoa? Forget being a player on the world stage. According to Mondelez, the company that now owns the Cadbury brand globally, it is possible. Mondelez runs a global program called Coco Life Initiative to enhance production in tropical countries working alongside farmers. The initiative in India is now more than a few decades old. The company has now increased cocoa's footprints from the slopes of the Western Ghats to even the plains in Andhra and Tamil Nadu. To talk about India's potential as a cocoa grower, we have with us today Rupak Bhatt, who is the head of cocoa operations for Mondelez in India. Rupak has a rich experience of leading cocoa procurement and sourcing from India West Africa and even Asia Pacific he has a bachelor's degree in agriculture and focused on horticulture and plant breeding from the university of agri sciences in bangalore welcome to field notes rupak thank you vivek thank you for hosting me rupak tell us about the coco life initiative what does it involve and what is its global footprint what do you seek to achieve as a company through this initiative So Vivek just to give you a little bit more information on the Coco Life program Coco Life program is a global initiative of Mondelez International and this is a program which we launched in 2010-11 across the cocoa origins where we operate so currently being implemented across Ghana and Ivory Coast in West Africa in Indonesia in Southeast Asia in India as well as in Brazil and other small origins like Dominican Republic so the main aim and purpose of this program is to ensure that you know we change the cocoa sector by having holistic solutions to address the root causes and problems that farmers face on the ground so we want to bring systemic changes on the ground and long lasting change the whole principle of coco life is based on ensuring sustainable coco farming which also results into a farming business for the communities we also want to ensure that the coco farmers and the communities where they live are empowered and have a decent livelihood and also in you know some parts of the coco origins we want to ensure that forests are cons- served and preserved so that you know we are protecting them for the future generations to come the whole principle of coco life program is based on having this kind of a transparency across the supply chain from our farmers connecting up to our consumers we want to ensure a very self sustainable capacity building at the farm level at the community level ensuring that you know we respect human rights focus on women empowerment etc and also we want to work very closely with the local partners so that we have a ongoing continuous policy dialogue with the local stakeholders so that we can have a long term sustainable change on the ground so this is the whole initiative of coco life program which we have been implementing since 2010-11 and we have also a global commitment that all of our chocolate brands that we are going to manufacture will have coco produced from this program coco life program by 
by 2025. So by 100% of our chocolates from 2025 will be sustainably sourced from areas where Cocoa Life program is being implemented. Kribak, before we get into what you do in India, is the Cocoa Life initiative also because cocoa plantations face the same kind of sustainability questions that say oil palm or coffee face globally? It's a little different kind of challenges, I would say. I think the major issue is in terms of livelihoods, right? Because most of the cocoa farmers, unlike oil palm, which are, you know, large plantations and they own thousands of hectares, whereas cocoa is basically grown by very small farmers, majorly in West Africa. So it is important for us to ensure that they get a decent livelihood. And that is the reason this kind of a program by Mondelez and also other, you know, industry players have their own programs, focuses on ensuring that the farmers are able to earn the decent income on the ground through better production practices and increasing productivity. So that I think would be the major focus area for us. Is India's agroclimate even suited for a significant amount of cocoa production? What kind of climatic or soil conditions does this need? Typically cocoa, if you look world over, it grows just a few degrees above and below the equator. So it is around 10, 15 degrees above equator and below equator. And that is the reason you will typically see it is in West Africa. It is in Indonesia, Malaysia. India probably sits little away, but still along the equator, you know, few degrees plus and minus. And even for that matter, Amazon, you know, Brazilian region, Ecuador, they all fall under that kind of uh, longitude and latitude if you see it on the map. What is typically required is you need an agroclimatic condition of 15 to 30, 35 degrees Celsius in terms of temperature, a minimum of 15, max of 30, 35, which is supposed to be very ideal. You need kind of an annual spread of rainfall which should be 1,200 to 1,500 mm on an average. And typically, you know, loamy, sandy loamy or lateratic soils are suitable for cocoa. And in that context, when you compare with India, historically, what we have noticed is that the Western Guard belts along Kerala and parts of Karnataka are ideally suited because we have this, the same kind of a temperature rainfall pattern. And we are also dependent on monsoon rains, which was found to be ideally suited for cocoa growing in India. So that is the reason in 1960s when cocoa got into introduced into India, it was predominantly cultivated in parts of Kerala and Karnataka along right. the western coast. How does the current production of cocoa in terms of quality, how does that compare to say West Africa and what proportion of the cocoa that goes into your products do you source from India? The quality of the beans globally is Ghana would be rated as the best quality beans and that is called as the A-grade beans. When you call about A-grade beans, it is typically 100 beans in 100 grams. So mm -hmm. every bean will be a gram. So 100 beans in 100 grams is what is supposed to be an A-grade beans. Plus or minus, you know, 5%, 10% is within an acceptable range. Ghana typically has got 85, 90, 95 bean count in 100 grams, which means the bean size is slightly better than a gram. Whereas if you look at India, we would probably sit around 105, 110 on an average. And this is, I'm talking about the main crop beans, which is 75% of the crop comes in a main crop period, which is the main season. And the balance months, you get around 20, 25, 28% of the crop. So we probably are not 
the best, and I would not say the A-grade beans, but we are very close to A-grade beans. So in terms of the quality of the products that you make out of these beans, which is in terms of butter, powder, and liquor, it is as good as any origin. But I think there will be preferences from consumers and manufacturers and processors in terms of the flavor profile that you look at, etc. So some would prefer Ghanaian flavor, some would prefer flavored beans of Ecuador or other such origins. Typically for us, I think Indian beans has been acceptable. We have been using this since the time cocoa has grown and we have started sourcing in India. So I don't think that is, from a quality perspective, it is an issue. All the beans that we buy in India goes into the products that we make in India. Probably we are sourcing around 30% on an average, depending on the season, 30-35%. The balance gets imported from other origins. From a sourcing point of view, I was mentioning that, you know, around 20,000, tons has grown in India and we source around 55, say 10, 12,000 tons, depending on the season. And this would only meet around 30% of our requirement. The balance gets imported from other origins. As a Mondelez connoisseur, what kind of product do these Indian cocoa, does it go into? We use it into all the chocolate brands that we make in India. That would include your five stars and Cadbury, dairy yes, milk, yes. etc. What is the extent of your network, Rupak? How many farmers do you work with? And what has been your success in introducing cocoa into, say, non-traditional regions? We are here looking at states like even Tamil Nadu and Andhra Pradesh. To give you the background of cocoa in India, you may be aware that it was the legacy Cadbury business which actually introduced cocoa in India. Mm -hmm. It was in 1965 that cocoa was brought into India by the Cadbury team and we introduced it in parts of Kerala. You know, there were some plantations, there was some research work which started and we started promoting them amongst the farmers. So from those days, I think the production continued to grow in Kerala, mainly in a very small scale because farmers in Kerala have very limited land holdings. So they used to grow it along with pepper, coconut, banana. So I did like in your home gardens, whatever space is available, they used to plant few cocoa trees. There are bigger farmers also who used to take this up as a pure crop or a multiple cropping system. And then it also progressed into parts of the Dakshina Kannada, North Kannada districts of Karnataka where it was grown. From those days, when we wanted to increase this further, what we understood was getting more and more farmers into these areas was difficult because land is also a big constraint. And that is the reason we ventured into the eastern, southern eastern parts of India, mainly into Andhra and parts of Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu, again, it is the rain shadow belt of Western Ghats, which is on the other side of Western Ghats, which is Koimutur, Pollachi, Teni, that belt, which is on the right-hand side of Western Ghats, what we call as rain shadow area. Those are the areas where coconut farms are there, extensively grown by farmers. And in the coastal belt of Andhra Pradesh, where farmers grow lots of coconut uh, and there are a lot of bigger coconut farms. What we identified in these farms is that these farmers do not do any other crop in that land other than coconut. So we introduced cocoa as an intercrop and that became quite a big success because it enabled the farmer to increase his income on, from the same unit land area which they were using for cocoa. It also enabled us to reduce water consumption on those land because historically these farmers continue to do flood irrigation. So there used to be a lot of wastage of land. So over a period of time with the support of the state governments also we managed to introduce dip irrigation in these farms which enabled us to reduce the water production. It enabled us to give better inputs to the farms, better utilization of water and thereby also increase the production productivity.
What is also very important during this few decades when the work on cocoa was going on from our side in terms of developing it with the farmers, in parallel, we were also doing significant work with the research institutions. We have the program partnership with Kerala Agriculture University, where there is a lot of polyclonal gardens and research work done on improving the hybrid varieties of cocoa, which are grown and developed to suit the Indian conditions. Because this not being a native crop, it is important for us to ensure that you have the right material to give it to the farmers to grow it under the Indian conditions. So that hybridization work has been done by Kerala Agriculture University. We also have CPCRI, which is the nodal agency for cocoa, as designated by the central government, also conducts a lot of research program in their research station. So both these institutes have done significant work on cocoa, which is then brought from the lab to the land through a transfer of technology, which commercially we have been very successful in doing it. And probably we are the only major agency which does this work on the ground. We have a team of our technical executives and technical experts based in all these districts where cocoa is grown in Kerala, Karnataka, Tamil Nadu and Andhra. So we are the first point of contact starting from the time the farmers take up the seedlings, put it up for planting till the time these plants are, you know, grown on the ground. We give them the expertise on how to manage the crop, how to grow the crop and give them the inputs on good agriculture practices. So that continuously happens. Once we do that, the next stage is coming, you know, to the output of the cocoa that is grown on the farm. We also have a network of buying team which works on the ground to source this from the farmers. So we have a very lean structure so that we are able to maximize giving the farm gate price administration to the farmers, which is also has been very successful. And on top of that, we also do a lot of other work on the ground, especially with the Cocoa Life program that got introduced since 2010-11. We have also been doing a lot of work on on the ground in these areas where cocoa is grown. See, we won't call them as cocoa communities. In West Africa, probably if you do a cocoa life program, we call that this program is done in a cocoa community. Here, the farmer is not purely dependent on cocoa. They also have other crops. Cocoa probably is one of them. But still, you know, those rural communities and villages where farmers are engaged in cocoa farming, we also undertake a lot of programs for them, especially related to children education, girl-child education, women empowerment, training of women farmers, etc. So that has been consistently being done from our side directly as well as through our partners on the ground. Is cocoa ideally intercrop with coconut? Is that your sales pitch to farmers? It is. I would definitely say so because it is one of the best intercrops. Farmers always have a choice to select any crop they want on the ground, right? As an intercrop or any crop, even as a monocrop. But what we normally typically do is we try to explain them the advantages and disadvantages of all the crops that we see on the ground. We also give them a kind of a pros and cons of what helps you by growing cocoa and what probably are the pitfalls, etc. And basically what we try to tell them is it's your choice. You have to decide what is best for you. This is what we do. This is the kind of support we give. This is the way we have our sourcing methodology and processes in place. And this is the way we kind of do the activities on the ground. And you have to decide what is best suited for you. I think I think farmers have understood that definitely cocoa is a good bet to go for because a lot of other crops, you know, there will be some issue or the other, right? You know, it could be a pricing issue, which will be fluctuating. There could be sourcing issues. Then they have to hunt around for, you know, getting the right buyer, etc. Whereas in this case, it's a full pack 
package. You are there and you are able to, you know, give them all benefits in one package. And that is what makes it all the more interesting for the farmers to go in for this. When you say it's an ideal intercrop with coconut, does that mean, say, for instance, in Tamil Nadu, you spoke about the areas adjoining the Western Ghat, the Kambam Valley, Theni, Coimbatore, say, coastal areas, even Nagapatnam is a big coconut growing region. So would cocoa suit that kind of climate and soil as well? Based on our study, what we have done across the four southern states, there is more than three, three and a half million hectares of coconut which is grown. This is from the government database, right? But I think in terms of coconut, I mean, the cocoa that is grown, we find it is, you know, just less than probably 100,000 hectares that is today grown in India. So the potential to go as an intercrop is significant. Now, all coconut areas need not necessarily be also suited. See, in the government database, even a coconut, like four coconut, which is planted on a boundary becomes an area, a coconut area. Now that you cannot take that as a you know intercropping model what we would recommend is you you need to have at least one hectare or two hectares of coconut land which should be there the soil conditions should be suitable and typically we know which are the districts in these for the southern states which are ideal we would prefer to avoid if there are water issues in the land because there is salinity issues like anagapatanam what you said you have trichy and which is the other one tanjavur belt and all that see here water is there but also you have a problem of, you know, there are salinity issues, there are certain soil issues in these places. So we would not recommend. Plus, also you need to understand whether the farmers are also willing to, you know, plant. Sometimes you may have a very good area, but the farmers may be hesitant even to take up any intercrop. They will say, I'm happy with what I have, which is happening even today. Like in this year, in Karnataka, when the arachnid prices have gone up, this is also planted as an intercrop in arachnid farms. Now, arachnid farmers who were growing cocoa, they don't want to increase area under cocoa because they're very happy with the arachnid. The prices have really shot up. So I think you will continue to have these kind of challenges, you know, something or the other keeps coming up. So you need to focus on the areas where farmers are interested, the areas which are suitable for cocoa, and then, you know, get this going. That is the challenge under the Indian context because every region, every district, every area where we go, the outlook of the farmers towards agriculture and what they want to grow is very different. So you need to understand the local mindset and then decide whether, you know, this is going to be successful, whether the farmers will be interested. When we go into newbie areas, we also, you know, put this up as a demonstration plot. We, we start with few demo farms, show the farmers how to grow it. Then the neighboring farmers come and see. It takes time, you know, because this is being a perennial crop. It's not like, you know, you grow for three months, harvest, and then move on to next year. You can't do that. It is a slow process it has to continue and that's the kind of a ongoing process and that is where our technical team is really helpful for us to be on the ground because they can do this assessment at their level and then really you know go forward with this i also want to mention one more thing which is very important that there is local state government uh, horticulture departments which also works closely in these areas you know, they give us support. They give the support to the farmers also. There are certain government schemes like MIDH, RKYVR, etc., which, you know, gives them that benefit of giving those subsidies to the farmers also to take up either cocoa or any other. There are many crops. I mean, almost all agriculture and horticulture crops, the, the government provides them that benefit, which also is helpful. And the department is also helpful because there is a company, there are, you know, development agencies like us in the ground trying to support this in their initiative, which also is very helpful. So it's a kind of a partnership also that we have on the ground, which helps us in growing this slowly, steadily. And that is where I think we are looking for even in the future.
tell us about the cropping cycle for cocoa how long does it take for a cocoa plant to produce fruits and is there a seasonality to it or is it a year long crop in terms of from the time you plant typically from the third year you will start getting pods i would say the very good economical yield starts from fifth year although from third year fourth year you will get decent crop but from fifth year you will be able to make money because the returns will be higher than the investment that you're going to do so that is how typically in the indian context it is it works unless and unless you know the farm is neglected and you don't do anything probably it may take another year or two more but typically 3 years it starts yielding fifth year you get economical returns see the cropping cycle again from indian conditions i would say it's a little different we have two types of cycle the western ghats or the what i have said kerala karnataka has got a season of april may june july where you get a main crop and then you get another main crop sometime in october november mid september october november so you have two main crops and these six months give you 80% of the crop and okay. the balance six months will give you probably 20% of the crop that is in this belt in the non traditional belts of andhra etc most 80% of the crop will come in the first five six months mainly starting from i would say mid jan of end jan going up to june you will get 80% of the crop and then you have a tail crop or what we call as a mid crop the mid crop is typically a poor quality of cocoa whereas the main crop 80% of the crop is a good quality crop and this is how cocoa normally behaves world all across the globe whereas the seasons would be different in west africa it would be october to march 80% of the crop will come from october to march so i think it differs from region to region it's all dependent on temperature and climatic conditions of those areas Rupak, from the perspective of farmers, what does success look like for a typical farmer who is growing cocoa as an intercrop in terms of the additional money or profitability that they can make per hectare? I would put it this way, you know, like it all depends on what the farmer has, right? If a very small farmer will have few trees of cocoa. because he's got multiple crops right he's got rubber banana pepper arachna lot of crops on the same you know maybe half a cent land or 10 cents of land you will have all these crops you go to a slightly bigger farm of 1 hectare 2 acre he may have a coconut with the cocoa intercrop he may also have some banana in between there will be another farmer who will have only coconut and cocoa on that's all you will have some other farmer who will again have probably multiple crops at different stages depending on what he wants so it would all depend on the planting density and the planting type and the population of cocoa now the way i would put it is this way in india i all look at what is the yield per tree right how much cocoa should yield in a tree because for me when you say 1 hectare of cocoa in west africa 1 hectare of cocoa means 1000 trees per hectare in india a good farm in a intercropping model it is 500 trees per hectare whereas if it's a very small farmer i don't even count the you know trees per hectare i just count the cocoa trees yes because it's a very small land or small unit area yes so what i would like to compare is what is the tree yield how much yield he gets now in west africa 500 600 grams per tree is an average that is what they get on an average so if he has got 1 hectare he may be getting like half a ton or 0.6 tons per hectare in indian conditions typically we get around 1 ton per hectare see when i say 1 ton per hectare it is actually 1 ton in 500 trees right so it's as good mm-hmm. as 2 kilos so that that's an excellent yield 
from a Indian standard and even from a global standard. Now, for a farmer to say what should be his yield, I think typically a farmer will look at maximizing his yield. And based on the inputs that he gives on the farm, I would say anything more than one kilo is very good for a farmer because his input cost will be minimal. See, if he's got only few trees, you know, just few thousand rupees he needs to spend because he's got few trees. If he's got a hectare of land and he does the inputs as per, you know, the recommendations that go into it, it would be, you know, like 20, 30,000 rupees a hectare or even 50,000 a hectare. But if he gets in a kind of a one ton per yield, you're basically looking at 40 to 50,000 as a net income from that land. Now, this is, again, I'm talking from a context of an intercrop, right? So for a farmer, when he has got his other major crops, anything that he gets profitably, you know, in terms of net income, it is a success for him. And that is where I think from cocoa perspective, depending on the planting you have, you know, anything when you talk from a yield perspective, I think getting 50 rupees, 100 rupees per tree as a net income is excellent income is what I would say. Rupak, what is the sustainability quotient of cocoa? Is it a water guzzler? How high maintenance is it? What kind of inputs does it require? What kind of outgo are we looking for from the farmer? And, and is this ecologically friendly? See, ecologically, definitely, I believe it is friendly. Again, I'm talking from an Indian context because the, the way in which in India it is grown is as a multiple cropping system. So we are not bringing in new land area under cocoa. We are using the existing farmland, existing agriculture land under cocoa under a multiple cropping system. One. Second, cocoa is a deciduous tree and there's a lot of leaf shedding that happens every year. And this adds a lot of organic matter to the soil. And we are going into a coconut farm or a coconut farm or an oil palm garden where cocoa grows in as an intercrop. And then you get a lot of these organic matter that gets added into the soil. So we have done an external study to make an analysis of what is the impact of this on the ground and at the farm level. And it has been concluded by the third party that we are actually being, being carbon positive on the ground at the farm level. Because one, the extent of planting that we are doing on existing agriculture land to increase the green cover to introducing this in lands where flood irrigation is there and switching them over to a drip irrigation model, which also helps us to conserve water. Plus added to that, because of the nitrogen that gets added into the soil, the carbon positivity that comes in, net-net on the same land in Uteria, if a farm had no cocoa and a farm which has got cocoa, if you see the transition over a five or 10 year period, we are actually becoming carbon positive on that land. So that is what I would say is the best story for cocoa in India. And also, which is very important to understand is this is not going into virgin lands, forest areas, etc. This is typically grown in an agriculture land and increasing the productivity of the land, which is also probably, you know, one of the important things today the government is looking at how to increase the farmer livelihoods so that he's able to increase his farm income. This is a pure classic story of how we can make that happen. You're not competing with, say, coffee estates or tea estates. This is not a monoculture crop at all in the Indian context. Can grow it as a monocrop. I think definitely it is possible. There are certain lands which are like, you know, 50 hectares, 100 hectares in India, not on a very large scale, like thousands of hectares, because the way I see it is it, it does not come under a plantation crop under that designation as of today. So there are certain restrictions from that point of view. So that's Second, that potential for plantations, large scale plantations would be low in India. If there is land availability and if it can be done, yes, we can definitely, you know, consider that. And we but of can course, as you mentioned, land is a huge problem. Correct. So 
that is the issue. Now, for a farmer who is doing coffee, tea, can they switch over? Now, you need to be a little bit conscious of the fact that tea is grown in a higher elevation. You know, coffee is also on a midder elevation. Now, what happens is in these areas, the temperature drops even below 10 degrees Celsius. So it is likely that it will have a potential impact on flowering in cocoa. So that is probably the reason, you know, you don't see cocoa farms in areas like Kodekanal, Uti, Munar areas in south, which is high elevated tea growing areas. You don't see cocoa or you hardly see any cocoa farms or anybody's attempted. We have attempted this. In fact, we have attempted this in Nirgiris. We attempted it in Kodekanal. Munar on the lower belts, cocoa grows well. You know, the middle elevation of Munar, cocoa grows very well. But as you go up, it becomes difficult. So that that is a concern you will have when you want to go into a switching over from an existing plantation into cocoa.